Hey, it's Pastor Sam. I want to thank you for tuning into this week's sermon, which is from our current sermon series called Our Aim, as we look at the mission of Sacred City Church, which is to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. You can find more information about Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois at scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Acts 11, 19 to 26. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking of the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. We have been, let me take a drink first. All right. We've been in a sermon series called Our Aim. Uh, we are looking at the mission of Sacred City Church, where we're exploring, rediscovering what it is that God has placed us here to be about as a church, um, and really honing in on the mission of Sacred City Church, which, I don't know, do I dare? Do, do you know what the mission is? Yeah? Make disciples, plant churches, renew the city. All right. Okay. All right, yeah, we've been doing that. Talking about making disciples, planting churches, and renewing the city. Um, we've been in it for three weeks, and, and in these three weeks, we've really said, hey, the only way to make disciples is in community and on mission. All right, cool, fill in the blanks are working. Um, now, there's plenty more to be said about this piece of making disciples. Uh, in fact, we could have thousands more sermons just diving into this thing of, of what Jesus calls his, his people to do, which is to make disciples. Um, but it's time for us to move on to the next piece of talking about planting churches. Now, as, as I open up this topic, I realize it might seem strange for um, church planting to be a central fixture for us as a church. It's, it might seem weird that church planting would be a weird thing to put right in the center of here's what we're aiming for, Here, here's our mission, here's our objective as a church because we are a young church. Now, I don't know if we're technically in the church plant stage, definitely not a newborn church as we were earlier, um, perhaps more of an adolescent church where we're growing up into sort of autonomy or being able to stand up on our own two feet. And we've made a lot of progress over the last few years uh, in coming to this place, and yet we still have a little ways to go. Now, part of that is, is being able to appoint uh, to, uh, a plurality of elders, and thankfully, God has been gracious to bring up men um, to, to go through the process. And, and so what I would like to encourage you, all of us, to do here in the coming months is to pray for our elder candidates, that the Lord be gracious and making it clear to us that they're ready to be installed as, as the elders of Sacred City Church and help us move toward becoming a freestanding church. Now, even though we're young in our years uh, and, and definitely in, in church plant world, it may seem unrealistic based upon all of that to, to have in the back of our mind a desire to plant more churches, right? It, it might seem like it's a la lofty goal because realistically it's a huge undertaking. Um, and we might look at this mission in sort of a realistic sense or a skeptical sense and say, is this really worth attaching to the central focus of our, of our mission? Or aren't we just setting ourselves up for failure if we don't actually get to the place where we can spin out a new church plant or raise up a new church planter and send them out. I mean, if it happens, great. But is this really central 
to what we're about as, as a church here at Sacred City. And to that, I hear you, and I answer, absolutely. It has to be. It has to be central to who we are as a church because church planting is wildly, profoundly biblical. Now, if you do a word search in your Bible app, if you go to BibleGateway.com and you search for the phrase church plant or church planting, you want to guess how many hits you're going to get? Zero. <laughs> you're not going to get any hits. But just because you don't see the phrase church planting or church plants doesn't mean that church planting isn't permeating the, the entirety of the New Testament. We've been reading through the book of Acts in our Feast to Flourish chapter a day Bible reading plan. We're, we're up uh, midway through at this point, and hopefully it's very obvious that the main theme of the book of Acts is church planting, the expansion of, of adding more churches and, and bringing more people into a saving knowledge of, of Jesus Christ. Now, this is part of what makes it hard to, to preach uh, a sermon on church planting is because there's so many different passages to choose from. Where, where are you going to land? What, what passage are you going to choose to present this case? But it's not just in Acts where we see church planting. It's through the entirety of the New Testament. Every epistle, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, they're all written to church plants. These are letters that the Apostle Paul, who in most cases planted these churches, is writing to encourage them to carry on and continue in the faith. And if it's not written to a church plant, these letters are written to pastors of church plants. Church planting is everywhere in the New Testament. And earlier in this series, I said, I believe it was in work one, week one, I was quoting um, Christopher Wright, who wrote the book, The Mission of God. He says, um, that the whole Bible is about the mission of God, that, that from Genesis to Revelation is about God disclosing himself to, to, to people so that they would know God and worship him rightly. And then if we go into the New Testament and we see this, this overwhelming emphasis on church planting, that, and it chronicles this movement of, of new communities being started and the gospel reaching new places and, and new converts coming to faith and finding themselves in community, we can con conclude this, that because the whole Bible is about the mission of God and the New Testament has such a, a massive emphasis on church planting, we can conclude that God's primary way of advancing the kingdom of heaven God's primary way of advancing his mission in the world is through church planting. Now, this happens in, in, in a couple ways. First, numerically, that God adds to his numbers through the work of, of new startup churches, people going to new places. So there's a, no, a numerical growth that happens, but then there's a geographical reach that goes throughout time. And I have a short clip here because it's hard to express just how massive of a spread this is. Um, if you want to play that short, it's a 40-second clip here. Look at this. Going from early on, you can see the spread of, of, of the gospel. Goes into Asia, down into Africa. Going, going, going. About 800 AD at this point. Goes back a little bit. Whoops. Spreads more and more and more. And then communism comes around. That's why, there it goes, and then it's booming. Then boom. Look at that. In 2,000 years, the gospel spread at an incredibly rate. I mean, you go, you go from, from 33 A.D., where you have about 120 disciples cowering in Jerusalem to fast forward to today where right now there are billions of Christians. There have been billions of Christians throughout all time and space worldwide. It blew up. The gospel spread like wildfire across the globe. And even you can say here in the Quad Cities, now, with so many churches here in the Quad Cities, the kingdom of heaven ought to be palpable. 
right? I mean, you could, I could literally stand out here on the corner and throw a rock in every direction and I could hit a church, right? There's so many churches here in the Quad Cities. Now, if this is the case, if the kingdom of heaven is advanced through the, the um, planting of new churches, I should be able to drive down I-74 and taste and smell the kingdom of heaven, to be the aroma of Christ just filling the city, right? But do we? Well, when you drive down I-74, do you taste it? Do you smell it? Do you see it? Now, perhaps at one time this was the case. Right? All, all, there, there was a boom here um, in our city that, that there was a, a, a huge burst of, of gospel renewal that took place. A, a lot of new churches popping up. In fact, um, it's interesting. Uh, when, when, we, when we moved into this building, First Christian Church that was here before gave me a booklet of, of some of the, the ministry through the years. And this church, you should see some of the photos. The, the church that occupied this space was, was a massive church. Lots of people, lots of families. And it's citywide at this point. A bunch of Christians, a bunch of churches just, just popping up. And, and perhaps in that moment of time, you could say that it was palpable. It was undeniable that the gospel was here, that Jesus had an effect on people and was changing the city because that's what happens. When the gospel moves into a specific area, it changes not only the people, but the place. As individuals go, undergo this inside-out change that Jesus does, the Holy Spirit is working to transform us, to renew our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It then starts working outside of, of our own individual hearts into the society. That, that as multiple Christians come together, that the, that, that the Christian faith becomes more prominent in the city, it actually has an effect on how the city operates, the culture, the, the, just the feel, the ethos of the community. Because as more people come to faith in Jesus, we begin sharing gospel values. We start having a shared worldview of, of how we see the world, how things should be, and what God is moving his people towards. As more people come to faith, we have a shared morality. Right? We, we don't have to invent our own sense of what's right and wrong. The word of God tells us what is good and right and true. And with that, it cultivates virtue in its people. Now, as there are virtuous people in the city with shared morals and values that are, are committed to obeying Jesus, what happens is that the city starts to move towards human flourishing. It creates a, this, this ecosystem where people are, are thriving and growing. And with that, the gospel advances. Now, that, that was happening at one point in our city. And to some degree, it, it's still going on. But right now, in recent times, it doesn't necessarily feel like there's that huge surge of gospel advance. Yes, there's, there's pockets in our city where we see gospel advance. But, but on the, the large scale, I would dare to say not, not so much. What we've seen are most neighborhood churches are dwindling in size. And what's happening is that either these churches are losing the gospel, they're trying to adapt uh, with the times, change their theology, ignore the word of God. And, and what that happens is it's just the church becomes not like a, an outpost for the kingdom of heaven, it just becomes like the world. And when that happens, those who cling to Jesus find themselves sort of torn. They, they love their local church, but they cannot exist in a space that has forsaken the way of Christ. So what happens is they start transferring their membership to other places where, where churches are staying committed to the gospel. And in that, you don't see um, overall church growth. What you see is church transfer growth. And as that happens, churches are forced to close their doors. Now, in 2015... Um, the Quad Cities was listed on Barna's um, top 30 unchurched cities list. Can you believe that? In 2015. Just saying that, man, there's so many people in our city that are 
are just not going to church, that they're unchurched. And, and, and the, the standard of, of what Barna was using to say um, what it means to be unchurched is a pretty generous standard. It's like you went to church once in the last two months, right? So we got a lot of people in our city that aren't even doing that. They're not engaged in a local congregation. And, and then in 2019, Somehow, I mean, it's trending in the wrong direction, but, but we, we got named number 15 on their list of post-Christian cities. So not just people who would once call themselves Christians and not go to church, but people who have completely abandoned any sort of faith in themselves. So they say, well, I, I don't believe in God any longer. I don't participate that. I don't read the Bible. I don't believe Jesus was sinless. All of these different metrics that people in our city, it's like 52% of the people in our city are post-Christian. And with that, we see Christianity dwindling in this space. And when Christianity dwindles, you can taste and feel the moral decay that takes place. You've got violence in our city. I, I mean, even this, this whole, I don't know, the last six months, we've been seeing a lot about violence in public schools. We had one parent get shot in a pickup line at an elementary school. We see drug and alcohol abuse just continue to rise. Crime in our city continues to rise. Car thefts. I mean, I don't know any city that has so many cars stolen. It's wild. In fact, this morning, last, last night, I was working on a vehicle, and I accidentally left my keys in the ignition, which I've never done before. And I realized it while I was in the shower, and I went outside today fully expecting my car to be gone. That's just kind of like the city that we live in, right? Thankfully, it's still there. But that's kind of the, the nature of the beast in our city. In fact, I know people in this room who've had their car stolen. We see just the, the, the morality dwindling away. What sexual ethics changing? I mean, even our city promoting um, unbiblical ideologies when it comes to gender and sexuality. Getting behind, throwing up the rainbow flags to celebrate pride in our own city. We see a weakening of the nuclear family. We, we are seeing right now lower marriage rates than we've seen before. And that, that's because people are cohabitating. They're not making a covenant. They're not saying, hey, I'm gonna commit myself to you for the rest of my life. They're just saying, hey, we're gonna test this out. We're gonna test drive this whole thing. Lower marriage rates, but at the same time, divorce rates seem to be the same. What we're seeing is darkness creeping back in. If, if there was once a surge of light in our cities, it feels like right now darkness is creeping back in. And sometimes I would, I would even say with an even greater intensity, like, like even, even a stronger grip on, on its people. Now, this resonates with me because when I read passages like Matthew 12, where Jesus talks about somebody who has a demon cast out of them and, and their house, their life gets reordered and cleaned up. And, and if nothing moves in to replace that, if it's a vacant heart, then that demon is going to roam around and then bring seven other new, stronger, more potent demons along with it and occupy that space. That's what happens. Jesus says, and so it will be with your cities like that. When we forget the gospel, when we unhitch ourselves from the word of God, it's just a slow decline from there. It might, it might take a, a number of generations. That, that's the crazy thing, that, that it, it, we could be a couple of generations removed from really strong, faithful Christians that are just getting after it, bringing Jesus to bear on the hearts and souls of individuals, trying to change the society, make it a more palatable, enjoyable, flourishing kind of a people. And it takes a generation or two to actually feel the effects when we've let off the gas pedal. This moral decay that we feel can only be remedied by the grace of God. That's it. Better legislation is a piece of it, but that can't do it in itself. Nicer neighborhoods would be nice, but something has to cause that. The only thing that can remedy the moral decay that we feel in this city is the grace of God. Now, what this means is that more gospel-centered churches must be planted. 
It necessitates that. If, if the gospel is what fixes this, then there has to be more congregations that are proclaiming the grace and the power of Jesus, not, not just out there beyond the city limits because, hey, we got this land covered. I'm talking about more gospel-centered churches planted right here in Moline. And I, I've heard of a couple of new churches that have been started within the last year and a half or so. Yes, we love it. Go preach Christ. We are not at all threatened by people that are starting new churches and, and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ because we're a kingdom-minded church. We can't reach everybody here. We can't reach into every little nook and cranny of our city. And so we need more gospel-centered churches to be planted in Moline and the surrounding cities and the greater Quad City area and far beyond. If we want to see the kingdom of heaven advance... If this is the way that God, if church planting is the way that God advances the kingdom, we must pray for and work for more gospel-centered, gospel-preaching churches. Now, church planting reaches more people. Church, plant, church planting reaches more people who are unchurched than any currently existing church can. There's all kinds of studies that have been on, uh, done about this, um, but, but it's simply the case. And a lot of times, the, these churches that have been around for a long time, they've sort of cauterized in their own flow of things, and they've, they, they're just trying to maintain what's going on and not thinking about the next church plant to send out. It's just kind of what happens naturally. You get kind of comfortable as a church and trying to maintain. But church planting reaches more people. And even to that, it brings about gospel renewal and revival to some of those more stagnant churches in the city. It says, listen, it says that there's more fruit on the tree. Like, like you can get in on this too. The way that our city gets back on track, the way that we, we move toward human flourishing is by planting more churches. In planting more churches is the most effective way of working to advance the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've been, I've been talking about this church planting stuff, um, but, but I guess say that church, church planting, it, it can even easily be, be misconstrued as this sort of like, oh, hey, look at us. We got it all together. We're trying to, like, we're, we're the superior church in the city, and everybody should come check us out. That's not what church planting's about. Church planting, by nature, well, there, let me say, there may be some churches that do that. I don't think that's, that's, the, the, that's not a gospel motivator for planting churches. A gospel motivator for planting churches is, is a mindfulness towards the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the motivation for planting churches is, is acting upon our own prayer request that the Lord Jesus taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Now, now, we pray that, but then we also work to that end. We give ourselves to that work, of course, drawing from God's grace the whole time. As I've been talking about church planting, I haven't really defined what that is. I'm kind of leaving that to your, to your um, imagination, but let me, let me just provide a helpful context of, of what is church planting. I've got a slide here. Church planting is planting the seed of the gospel in the soil of a culture and tending the seedling all while trusting God will sovereignly bring growth. That's what church planting is. Taking the seed of the gospel, planting it in the soil of the culture, making sure it's got sunlight, making sure it's got water, and then trusting that God will bring growth to that plant. We get the sentiment when Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, and God brought the growth. Now, the church in Corinth isn't the only place that we see this happening. We see this all throughout the book of Acts. And what we've chosen to look at today is Acts chapter 11 uh, is, is the church in Antioch. This is, this is a place where people who followed Jesus were first called Christians. Significant. And, and here's what we see going on in, in Acts uh, 11. Uh, let me read. This is verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as uh, Phenonicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word, which means speaking the gospel, to no one except Jews. So, so at this moment, as they're going about, geographically, I'm sure you don't know 
ge- geography of this whole very well. But I'm saying they're moving out from Jerusalem and they're going out from Jerusalem to Samaria to Judea to all of the ends of the earth. We see this outward push of the gospel. And as they go, they're speaking specifically to Jews because Christianity is rooted in, in, in the prophecies, the promises of God who spoke to Isaac and Jacob and Abraham. And so they go and they have this mentality that, man, the gospel must just be for the Jews in the area. And so they do that. But, but all of a sudden, Peter has this dream and, and a bunch of stuff opens up uh, where God makes it clear it's not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles, just as we saw in Ephesians 2 a couple weeks back. Not just for the Jews, but also the, the Gentiles. The dividing wall of hostility has been brought down. So we see them preaching to the Jews. And then now, but some of them, verse 20 Men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, which means the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord. You want to talk about the sovereignty of God. So here they go out. They're they're preaching the gospel. They're planting the seeds in these new places. And we're told that the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So here we see it. The planting of the seed of the gospel to tending to the seed, as we'll see, they come back, uh, uh, Barnabas comes, and, and then he later brings, brings Paul, and they're going to teach people about what it means to be a disciple, to, to, to follow Jesus in their lives. They tend to the seedling, and God brings the growth. See, God shows us that it is his, by his grace that he saves people. It's by his grace working through people that his gospel is made, lo- made known. Now, as, as they, this good work happens here in Antioch and those other cities, the people, the disciples back in Jerusalem hear about this in verse 22, and they go send Barnabas, who's, who's, um, his, his name is, uh, means the encourager, Barnabas the encourager. They send Barnabas to go to Antioch and check it out, to, to just double check that everything's okay or that. And, and Barnabas shows up here in Antioch and he is thrilled, right? He, this report came to him um, and he came and he saw the grace of God and he was glad, right? You, you talk about the joy that we've, we have as Christians, the joy to see God working in other places that aren't necessarily our own. Now, Barnabas has an exhortation, so he's glad for them, and then he exhorts them. He says this, uh, and he came and he saw the grace of God, and he was glad, and he exhorted them all, not just a few of them, he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. See, when Barnabas hears about what's going on in Antioch, he doesn't say, oh, great, mission accomplished, we got to a new spot. But instead he says, hey, keep up the good work. We're making progress here. There's still more to do. That's why he says, hey, um, remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. When he's talking about that steadfast purpose, you cannot help but think of the mission of God, where God wants to be known throughout all of the world. Anywhere the sun hits, Jesus should be known and worshiped. He sees the grace of God at work in the people. He celebrates that. He's thrilled with that. He, he commends them and, and exhorts them to keep going, and that he brings Paul back to tend to the seedlings. Hey, we saw the Lord add to our numbers. Now we need somebody to disciple them, right? We need to make disciples. We need to teach them how to, to be a disciple of Jesus while living in community and, and on mission. And that's what we see going on. And as that happens, there's this continual growth that goes on within the church. And with that growth, as things grow and grow and grow, there becomes a point where that thing that growing must multiply. It must, it must sort of spread even further. So this, this plant that we, you know, the seed you put in the ground and it grows up into a tree and the tree produces fruit and now that fruit has seeds in it. Now those seeds need to go to other places. And if you keep reading on through the book of Acts, you see that those seeds keep going other places. Now, what we're seeing here in the early church is very clearly a a reproduction mindset. That the goal was never to build a a big church, like this big hub of Christianity and just call it quits. 
Make everybody kind of like make a Mecca in, you know, a pilgrimage in to this thing. No, the point is to, to spread out and multiply across the world. Now, church planting does this. This, this is, on the macro level, this is what church planting does. It, it takes the gospel to new places. And, and sometimes it's places that the gospel's already bore fruit at, but has dwindled away and it's time to replant. It's also in the case of, of going to, to people groups like what we've done in Kenya, that, that it's predominantly Muslim communities and we're bringing the gospel of, of Jesus Christ in and people's hearts and lives are being changed and churches are being started. Now, church planting does this on the macro level, but, but we also see this happen on, on a micro level within churches. Now, how we talk about that is, is missional community multiplications. So, so the idea is this missional community is a tight-knit group of people. I mean, you got 10 to 25 people that are, are meeting together regularly, praying, studying God's word, sharing life, doing discipleship with one another, living on mission. We're praying for unbelieving friends and family and neighbors and coworkers that don't yet know Jesus. We're praying for them. We're inviting them into these spaces. And as God adds to our numbers, these communities grow and grow and grow to the point where they're going to burst. And it's a good burst. Uh, we, we, we insist on using the language of multiply instead of split because split has some sort of negative. There have been too many church splits that have gone on in our city. This is, this is a joyful thing. This is a, a multiplication. Health, healthy things will multiply, not split. And every time we multiply these missional communities, we create new opportunities for the people who aren't here yet. We move into new little nooks and crannies within our city that opens up the door to more and more people. It becomes more accessible. And eventually, as we gain more of these missional communities, perhaps the Lord will open the door to, to send out people to start their own church in a, in a geographically specific area. Now, I don't know. I can't see the future. But, but I can't help but dream that maybe one day the Lord will continue to multiply missional communities in, in, in the Alito area and we would be able to send out a church planter to go start a new church. I don't know what the Lord has in store for us, but it could be that. Now, this is how the gospel expands throughout a city. This is how the gospel grows in a place. These individuals who cling to Jesus, who create communities, who cling to Jesus and grow, and then, boom, multiply. This is exactly what happens in the book of Acts, the, the, the Acts 13. The, the region gets saturated with these gospel communities. The region gets saturated with these new churches. Now, there's something glorious about this. There's something that we can look at and say, oh, man, I just want this. I want this so badly. People experience the grace of Jesus and come to know and, and be excited about church planting. And, and there is something really, really exciting about church planting to see beyond the cutting edge of the mission of God moving forward in our spaces. But I, I would not be giving a full disclosure if I made multiplying missional communities and multiplying churches and planting churches sound just easy, like, like just all fun and joy. Because the reality is to plant churches requires a great deal of work. Now, a, a lot of the people in this room have been around for the last five and a half years to know how hard it is to plant a church. Like we have firsthand experience It is a huge undertaking to build something new. It is a huge undertaking to build something new and sustain it. It's even a bigger undertaking than that to build something new, sustain it, and then see to its multiplication. Now, to do this, to give ourselves to the hard work of church planting means that the people, not, not an organization, not, not like a church planting agency, but the people of the community, the people of the church are sacrificially investing their time, talent, and treasure. And a lot of times you go through, I would say like in the first year, you see probably a pretty good amount of fruit. In years two through five, it's a really slow growth. 
And so it can be kind of discouraging. You're investing all of this time and energy and resources, and you're not seeing a huge payout at the end of it. So that can be discouraging, and you start to wonder, well, is this even worth it? It would be so, so much easier if I just you know, showed up to a church where all I have to do is say hi to people and then walk out at the end of the service. It'd just be so much. So there's this fatigue that happens when we give ourselves to church planting. On top of that, there's an external opposition that, that the culture that we are going to plant the seed of the gospel in is actually hostile toward God. That their hearts and my, unless, unless the Lord opens up their eyes to see and changes their hearts to receive the good news, that it is a culture that is resistant, that it's a God-hating culture. So we're going to face opposition. We're going we're to face resistance as we set out to be faithful to God and steadfast in our purpose. You know what? As we set out to, to, to multiply churches, to, to plant new churches, we might even run into opposition from other churches. The, the accusation, you're just stealing our people. I, well, I hope not I'm stealing your people. I hope they stick with you. We're trying to find new people who aren't here yet. Right? Or, or they're thinking you're, you're sort of taking up the market, right? There, there's, a, there's a lot of lost people in our city. There's so many people to share here. And so there, there might be external opposition from culture or even churches that aren't necessarily kingdom-minded. Internally, we're going to face opposition. I mean, you, you give yourself to doing life with other human beings who are sinful and flawed, and, and though we're clinging to Jesus, we're imperfect people until he brings about the totality of our salvation with the new heavens and new earth. And so when we live in community and on mission together with, with the objective of starting new communities, we are going to, to rub against one another. It's a sanctifying way. If, if you allow it to be, but it also can cause a lot of turmoil and relational strain. The feeling of, of just constant trials, like you, you try and fail. And on top of that, there's just a personal discomfort that comes with the objective of planting churches, the objective of, of multiplying missional communities because one of the things that we love, everybody, every American loves this, is comfort. I just want to be set up. I just want to play it safe. Live a life that, you know, meets sort of the, the minimum criteria and, and just call it good from there. If you commit yourself to being part of church planting, if you commit yourself to being part of a church like ours that's, that's moving our way through the ranks of church planting, you put yourself on an uncomfortable trajectory. It's a good trajectory because on the other side of it, you get more of Jesus. You find more grace. You find that you, your sin is snuffed out so his glory may abound in your life. But at times, it's gonna be challenging. See, everything is stacked up in this world to work against church planting, to work against communities multiplying. Now, now this might be overwhelming it's like, I'm standing up here saying like, hey guys, it's next to impossible to plant new churches. And we're gonna do it. It's not impossible though. It's not. Because the story of Acts, the story of the New Testament is how God continues pushing his mission forward through faithful men and women like us. So if you want to see the gospel expand in our city, if you want to see the, the gospel expand in our region, guess what? The gospel has to start by expanding in your own heart. The gospel has to start driving out the darkness and sin and brokenness in your own life so that you could be restored to right relationship with God and to one another. So that we could get excited about what God is doing in this world. Not overcome, not, not, not overwhelmed by the darkness that we see out there in the city, but just feel this incredible empowerment from the Holy Spirit. This boldness, this zeal to go out there as torchbearers, carrying the light of Christ into the darkness of our city and far beyond. See, when the gospel gets in your heart like that, it starts expanding 
Jesus ignites a joy in us that cannot be stopped. It cannot be stopped. In fact, last week I shared a quote from, from Leslie Newbegin. He talked about um, the engine of, of, of mission is joy. The, the thing that propels the church out on mission is joy. He, he likens it to, to this. He's like, um, the gospel creates a kind of fallout, a joyful fallout that instead of being life-taking is life-giving. Now, this is what church planting is on a larger scale. You get the gospel embedded in your bones. The joy of your salvation is just imprinted in you and makes you buoyant. It makes you unquenchable with joy. And this is exactly what we see throughout the, 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 the book of Acts. The disciples of Jesus have an unstoppable, unquenchable joy that, that they cannot be deterred from the, the, the purpose God has put before them. We see this and how this opens up in verse 19. The reason why they're going to these new places like Antioch and Cyprus and Cyrene is because there has been persecution in the church. The first martyr, Stephen, he, he was killed. And there's a quote that says, it's, it's the blood of the martyrs that is the seed of the, of the church. And that's exactly what happened. It's like a dandelion. When Stephen was killed, God blew and all of these seeds spread out through the area. So there's starting new churches in, in Antioch and Corinth and Galatia and, and Ephesus. What is that? That's, that is the fallout of joy. They cannot be stopped. The whole reason why church planting is a thing, the, the reason why we talk about it is because God's joy compels us to keep talking about it even when we're told to shut up. And just like persecution caused the early church to scatter and take the gospel with them, God uses trials and difficulty in our life to press us deeper into the gospel, to know him more. Now, if... If the joy that we saw in the early church was weak, if it wasn't really this unquenchable joy, what would happen is the church planting movement would stall out very quickly. In fact, there's a passage in Acts chapter five where the, the Jewish leaders are just scratching their head at, at what the, the Jesus' disciples are doing. And they're like, try, like, do we throw them in prison? Do we kill them? How, how do we stop them from talking about Jesus? And somebody wisely said this in Acts five. He said, I forget the guy's name. But he says, listen, if this is, if this is a movement of man, then it'll stall out. Like we saw it happen before. Like he points to a historical event where uh, sort of like an insurrection of man took place, their leader was killed, and then just eventually fizzled out. He said, if that's the case, if it's a movement of man, it'll collapse on itself. But he says, we need to, we need to be careful that we're not opposing ourselves against God. Because if this is a movement of God, this will not fail. And guess what? We're here 2,000 years later, and the movement that God has started then is still going forward now. All, all of that, that persecution, all of that, that sort of trying to quench the flame only made the church burn brighter and go further with its light. And so we can come to the conclusion this was not a movement of man, but a movement of God through his Holy Spirit. We see that he fills his people up with joy, this unquenchable joy, and he gives them boldness to proclaim. Acts 13, even, I forget, early on in Acts, they pray for boldness so they can take the gospel message out. That's what's required for church planting to take place, the Spirit filling up his people. And as people are filled with boldness and this unquenchable joy, God uses us to bring other people from darkness into light. We're people who point to the saving work of Jesus. See, this is why we church plant. This is, this is why we continue to give ourselves to church planting. God's not done yet. This is why we as a church throw 10% of our budget to church planting. Right now we're sponsoring my friend Nick Powell who's up the road in Clinton, Iowa, being faithful, planting a church, staying steadfast to the purpose that God has put before him. We're giving money to Kenya, to the people of, of Muamba. They're, they're reaching the Maasai people. 
We give money to Acts 29. So there's regional and, and, and national and even global mission work that's happening there. We're, we're helping fund church plants. Now, this is why we continue grinding it out as a church through adolescence. We're, we're in the puberty stage here, and it's kind of awkward, but we're going to get there. We're going to stand up mature one day so that we can then send somebody else out to go plant another church. Now, if this is all hard work, why do we suffer like this? Why, why do we give ourselves, why, why do we make our, our existence as a church harder than it needs to be? It's because we believe a gospel where Jesus lays his whole life down on the line for this. And Jesus gave him his whole self up so that we could be brought into the family of God. And so as a church, we, we, we see that and we replicate that. We give our time, our talent, our treasure to see more and more of these communities pop up. We labor so that we could say, just as Paul says, to fill up what is lacking in Christ's suffering. Now, he's not saying that Christ's suffering wasn't, didn't complete the atoning work. What he's saying here is the suffering that we do points more people to the reality that Christ suffered and died in our place to bring us into life with God. And so in this vein, sacred city, we, yes, we exist to make disciples, but we also exist for the people who aren't here yet. I mean, look around. There's, there's empty spaces here in this sanctuary. There's plenty of room for other people to be part of this. And, and if we outgrow this space, then we'll start another service or something. But we want to see God bring new people in. And, and we don't just you know, set up shop and put a sign up in, in, the, in the front door and say, hey, come on in. We're people who are missional like Jesus is missional. And we go toward people. And we do this so that God's glory will be known and cover our city as the waters cover the seas. To see our city move from darkness to light. To see our region, our state move from darkness to light. To move deeper into the redemption that Jesus has afforded for us. And by God's grace, see the kingdom of heaven advance so it would be like it is in heaven right here. It's through kingdom-minded churches, through church-planting churches, that the mission of God surges forward. And one day, God will bring this to completion. One day, there will not be a need to go plant new churches. Jesus will come and restore all things to himself, all people and places and things that cling to his name by faith. And in that, we will see a total restoration. We'll get to see the fruit of our labor and actually participate in this grand scheme, this beautiful narrative, this huge story that God has been telling since the beginning of time. We get to see the story come to a conclusion. And all of this will be celebrated with the marriage supper of the Lamb. Just as God unites heaven to earth, so Christ will unite himself to his bride, his people. Without spot, without blemish, perfectly whole, perfectly restored. And the glory of God will be undeniable. That's what we look forward to. That's what we do. That's what we're aiming for with every church plant that we support, that we sponsor, that we ourselves plant, with every multiplication of missional communities. That's what we're aiming for. And until that day where we get to sit down at the banquet hall of God and take the cup and the bread and, and feast like Christians, the Lord has laid out a feast for us here, a feast that points us forward to the day where heaven and earth will be united, a feast that, that, that launches us, puts our gaze forward to the future. But not in a way that denies the reality of the present. Because in this meal, Jesus meets our needs. Jesus fills us up where we're lacking in order to give ourselves, continue to give ourselves to the work he's called us to. It's in this meal that he strengthens us for the work of of building communities and reaching the lost.
It's in this meal that Jesus, he, he hands over to us boldness and confidence. One, in, in our own identity as Christians, in our, our security through the gospel, but also in the reality that God is bringing more children to himself. It's a meal that gives us great hope. Because this meal also reminds us that Jesus was broken for us. His body was broken so that we wouldn't have to be. And by his wounds, we are healed. So the, the, whole, the whole thing revolves around the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is making a way for sinners to be with God in his kingdom. Jesus has made a way for you. This morning, we want to invite baptized, believed Christians, people who, who profess their faith that Jesus is Lord and King, People who see themselves in the family of God and understand that now I am involved in the family business of going to make disciples, of going to, to reproduce these communities, to be nourished, to be emboldened, and to find deep and lasting joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your kindness to us that, that while we were in sin, uh, you could have walked away. As we were covenant breakers, forsaking your, your commands and your laws, you could have said, hey, deal's off the table. But you, because you're full of steadfast love and mercy, because of the great love with which, you, with which you loved us and set upon us, you have brought us to Christ. You have made us alive in him. And Lord, we know that you, you have a desire to bring more people to yourself, that more people would know your glory and love you as, your, as creator and redeemer. And so would this meal just inject in us a deep sense of joy? Would this meal inject in us a profound boldness? Would this meal inject in us a zeal to be steadfast to your purpose in our life, that more people would be in this room, that the people who are not here yet would make their way here because we are going to get them just as you've, as you've gone to go and get us. So we pray that you would do this. Use your church for your glory and for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.